Chapter 7 of Captain Salt in Oz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Captain Salt in Oz by Ruth Plumley Thompson. Chapter 7 Strange Specimens for Samuel Salt. With no one to challenge their going but the birds and monkeys, the little band made its way back to the sandy beach. Tandy, perhaps because he had been so long pent up in the silent jungle, and because he was by nature a naturally sober and solemn little boy, said nothing. Not even the crescent moon, riding so proudly at her anchor, seemed to arouse any interest or enthusiasm in this strange young Ozamalander. "'Well, here we are!' exclaimed Ato, heartily thankful to be in sight of the ship again. "'And I hope you'll not mind ferrying us out to the boat, Nicobo. Those crocodiles still look hungry, and I've no notion of being crocked for the rest of my life.' "'Any time you say,' grunted the hippopotamus, squeaking a listless greeting to a company of her own relatives, who are rolling lazily about in the muddy river-water. Avast in belay, and what's the hurry? Leaning his axe against a tree, Samuel moistened a finger and held it up. The wind's against us, mate, so we'll have to wait for the tide. Not only that, but Roger and I must survey the island and dig up some more interesting specimens to take back to the ship. After a long and rather quizzical look at Tandy, Samuel turned and swung along the beach, the reed bird flapping joyously behind him. Run up and down a bit, advised Ato, sliding down from Nokobo's back. Your legs must need stretching. Wonder if there's anything to eat around here or hereabouts. Aha! Those look like oranges. A wild orange grove, as I'm a cook and a seaman. Come along, young one, and help me gather a few. A king and a son of a king's son does not come and go at another's bidding announced Tandy, stiffly, alighting from the hippopotamus. "'Merciful mothers! What's this?' gasped Ato, blinking his eyes rapidly. "'As complete a case of ingrowing royalitis as I've ever had the misfortune to encounter. Well, since it's every king for himself, then I'll be leaving you, Sonny, and son of a king's Sonny. Watch out for him, Kobo. He's probably real important to himself.' "'You should not speak like that,' reproved the hippopotamus as Ado disappeared into the orange grove. "'After all, the big and fat one is himself a king.' "'Pooh! King of some potty little island!' sniffed Tandy, leaning wearily against a palm. "'Break me a coconut, Kobo. I'm thirsty.' With a discouraged sigh, Nikobo trod on one of the coconuts, cracking it from end to end, and then, because she was a generous and kindly creature, she cracked several more for Ato when he should return. Sitting back on her haunches, she anxiously watched while Tandy downed the coconut milk, then, stretching out in the sand, fell unconcernedly asleep. Thus Ato found them when he emerged from the orange grove an hour later. His elegant explorer's cape was knotted to form a sack, and bursting full of the small sweet fruit of the wild orange trees. "'These will make us a fine mess of marmalade when I get back to the ship,' panted the perspiring monarch, settling down with his back cosily to Nabokos. "'How's young Saucebox?' 
All right. The hippopotamus nodded in Tandy's direction. He's so small and tired, she murmured worriedly. And you must know he has been exposed in an open cage in the jungle for five long months, with only a miserable hippopotamus for company. Miserable hippopotamus, snorted Ato indignantly. You're a very superior animal, my girl. I consider it an honor to converse with you any day. Did you crack those coconuts for me? As Nikobo, trying bashfully to conceal her pleasure at Ato's praise, admitted she had, the king took several long, satisfying draughts from the shells. Now, don't you worry about that young sprout, he advised kindly as Nikobo continued to gaze mournfully at the sleeping boy. We'll make allowances for his high and mighty littleness and set him down in his own country. That is, if we ever manage to find it, though I must say he'll not be much use nor company for us. Ahoy! Here comes Semi. Wonder what he's found. As a matter of fact, the royal explorer of Oz looked more like a walking window-box than a seaman. Long vines hung from his neck and trailed from his pockets. His arms were crammed with spiked and prickly plants, and on his head he balanced a package of seashells tied up in his shore-going coat. "'What are you going to do, start a conservatory?' roared Ato as Roger helped the captain set his treasures on the ground. "'Rare and unusual, all of them,' said Samuel, dropping down beside Ato and looking with complete satisfaction at his curious collection. "'Mind those yellow creepers,' warned Nikobo, wiggling her vast snout warningly. "'Those purple-flowered plants in the middle are treacherous, too. "'They are tumbleweeds, master longlegs, "'and tis from them Patrippany Island gets its name. "'When the leopard-men fought, "'they would fling these weeds at one another, "'and I've seen them falling about for hours, "'neither side being able to advance a step or even stand up.' "'Tumbleweeds!' breathed Samuel ecstatically. "'You don't say!' Why, these might come in real handy if we ever get in a tight place. I'll give a few to the Wizard of Oz and to the Red Jinn when we get back from this voyage. And what about the yellow creepers, mate? Are they fighting plants, too? The creepers, if uprooted and thrown at an animal or man, will creep rapidly after him, catching him no matter how fast he runs and tying him up so tight he will not be able to move until the vine withers, explained Nikobo solemnly. I happen to know from an experience I had with one of these vines in my early youth. Creeping vines, shivered Ato, moving as far away from Samuel's collection as possible. Just keep them away from me, Sammy. What right have such things on a ship? Oh, they'll be harmless enough when they're potted, answered Samuel easily. And a splendid weapon they'll make for some up-and-coming country. Better keep them for ourselves advised Roger, fluttering down to Samuel's shoulder. "'Exploring's a dangerous business, if you ask me, Master Salt.' "'Well, you'll have to admit that it's been pretty safe and successful so far,' said Samuel, clasping his hands behind his head and gazing contentedly up at the waving fronds of the palm-trees. "'Safe?' the ship's cook began to shake and quiver all over. "'Ho, ho! Safe?' especially sailing round that volcano and going swimming with the crocodiles. Safe! You'll be the death of me yet, Samuel!" 
Have you planted your Oz flags and told the wild creatures of the jungle about the new sovereign? Roger nodded his head importantly. We've raised Oz flags on the tallest trees on the east, south, west, and north sides of the island. I flew across and got a bird's eye view while the captain walked clear round. We've discovered it's bean shaped, King Deer, the exact shape of a kidney beam, and a fine fertile place for settlers and prospectors from Oz. Yes, all they have to do is cut down a million trees, drain the swamps, and train the wild beasts in the jungle to be as polite and considerate as Nicobo here. Well, what of it? That's their problem. Samuel stretched himself, luxuriously snapping each finger to see that it was still working. And now, since our part is done, what do you say to waking this son of a king's son and getting aboard the ship? The tide'll run out in a couple of hours and carry us along. Tazander had been awake for some time, listening to the conversation with closed eyes. Now, sitting up, he calmly spoke his mind. "'I'm not going with you,' he stated grandly. "'I'm going to stay here with Kobo till my own people come for me.' "'Ha! Mutiny!' Leaping to his feet, Samuel glared down at the puny youngster with real anger and exasperation. If you think I'm going to leave you on this island to be devoured by wild animals when Nicobo's back is turned, you don't know your pirates. Climb up on that animal. Lively now!" Samuel looked so fierce and threatening, Ato felt rather sorry for the stubborn little king, but he was wasting his sympathy. "'I'm not going,' said Tandy, settling more determinedly down into the sand. "'And no one can make me.' Don't say that! Don't say that!" Blubbering with grief at the thought of losing her small charge and shivering with anxiety lest he arouse to further anger this tall sea-captain, Nicobo lumbered to her feet and began to whisper eagerly in Tandy's ear. During this short conference Samuel gathered up his specimens and Ato his oranges, and when both had finished the hippopotamus edged nervously forward. "'I've decided to go with you.' she announced in a slightly shaken voice. "'If I go, Tandy'll go. So I'll just go.' "'What?' roared Samuel Salt, dropping his shells and clapping his hand to his forehead. "'Well, that practically solves everything.' Looking wildly from the hippopotamus to the crescent moon, Samuel had a dreadful vision of Nicobo rolling dangerously from side to side of his cherished vessel. "'What'll you eat?' demanded Roger, who was ever more practical than polite. "'How'll we ever feed this enormous lady, Cook dear? Besides, she'll sink the ship.' "'I'll be very quiet and stay wherever you put me,' murmured Nicobo in a meek voice. "'I'll go on a diet and eat whatever is left.' "'Well, why couldn't she go?' proposed Ato, who already had formed a great liking for Tandy's devoted guardian. Why couldn't she? Nice, kind, motherly creature that she is. But a hippopotamus needs fresh water and tons of food, and— Then suddenly Samuel brought his hands together with a resounding smack. Have you thought of something? asked Ato hopefully, shifting his oranges from one shoulder to the other. Yes, stated the former pirate solemnly. I have. Samuel was secretly delighted to have found a way to carry this superb herbivorous specimen back to Oz.
I'll build her a raft and tow her along after the ship. We'll stop at all the islands we come to for fresh water and grass, and meanwhile she'll have to do with salt baths and such food as we have in the hold." "'Oh, Kobo, do you hear that?' Springing up with the first signs of life or feeling he had yet shown, Tandy flung himself on his huge champion and friend. "'So you're really going. Then I'll go, too.' "'Can't be all bad, if he's as fond of her as all that,' whispered Ato into Samuel's ear. "'Not bad, just a pest,' wheezed Samuel, reaching for his axe. "'Needs a taste of the rope, if you ask me.' Then, while Nikobo went for a last swim in the big and little river and bade good-bye to her numerous and wondering relatives, Samuel felled trees, split wood, and with nails Roger fetched from the ship fashioned a splendid strong raft for their new pet. Round the edge he built a sturdy railing to keep Nikobo from sliding off in a rough sea. Ato and Roger, taking thought for the evening meal, heaped one end of the raft with grass and twigs and all the jungle roots they could gather. Without moving or offering to help, Tandy sat watching, and just as the sun sank down behind the palms, a strange procession started out for the crescent moon. Ahead, with the keg of nails, soared Roger. Then came the hippopotamus, moving like a small dreadnought through the water. On her back sat Ato, the haughty young king of Ozamaland, and Samuel Salt. Samuel rode last, holding in his hand the long cable he had attached to the raft and with which he meant to fasten it to the crescent moon. Following his orders, Nikobo swam close to the side of the ship so Tandy and Ato could climb the rope ladder. Then she paddled round to the stern, where Samuel drew his cable through an iron ring in the ship's hull and made the raft fast. There was a runway at the back of the raft, and the rails on that side let down so that Nikobo had no trouble clambering aboard. By pulling a rope with her teeth, she could raise or lower the back of her pen, and take a swim whenever she felt the need of one. After giving her a bit of advice about voyaging, and seeing her comfortably settled, Samuel climbed the cable and nimbly pulled himself aboard his ship. Roger had already stowed their precious specimens in the hold, and rubbing his hands with brisk satisfaction, the captain of the Crescent Moon weighed anchor and dropped with the tide down the big and little river to the sea. Then, touching the automatic controls, he set his sails to catch the evening breeze, adjusted his steering gear for a course east by southeast, and strode happily into his cabin. The salamander chirped cheerfully as he passed her hot-box, and after tapping a cheerful greeting on the lid, the weary explorer stripped off his ruined and muddy shore-going outfit, took a shower, and climbed thankfully back into his old sea-clothes. "'Where's the pest?' he called out as Roger flew past the open port. "'Well, since he was small and important,' sniffed the reed-bird, waving a claw, "'I gave him a large cabin to himself. I didn't think you and Ato would want him in here.' "'Shiver my timbers, no!' Samuel looked ruefully across at the small berth the Philadelphia boy occupied on their last voyage. "'He'll never be the seaman Peter was, nor the company either.' He'd better keep out of my way, ha, or I'll give him a taste of my belt." Snatching up his spyglass and looking as stern as a kind-hearted pirate well can, Samuel hurried out on deck. Meanwhile, in the cabin next to the captain's, Tandy stood regarding himself mournfully in the small glass over his sea-chest. 
He too had taken a shower, and at Roger's suggestion had donned one of Peter's old pirate suits. "'I am a king and the son of a king's son,' muttered Tandy, staring sadly at the sallow reflection in the mirror. To tell the truth, the suit was not in the least becoming to the skinny and sullen young monarch. "'I am a king and son of a king's son and can bear anything,' he repeated dismally. "'Then bear a hand with the dinner!' yelled Roger, who had been peeking at him through the porthole. "'All who eat must work, and under the hatches with lubbers!' Pretending not to hear, Tandy sat resignedly on the side of his bunk, though he really was curious to look around the ship and see what Kobo was doing. From the galley came the cheerful rattle of pots and pans and the huge voice of Ato singing as he prepared the dinner. Gulls flew in excited circles all round the crescent moon, calling out their hoarse challenge and farewell, and Samuel Salt, leaning on the taffrail, gazed dreamily back at Patrippany Island. The Oz flags fluttering from the tall palms gave it quite a gay and festive appearance, and in spite of not seeing the leopard men, Samuel felt he had done a good day's discovering. Ahoy, below! How you coming? called Samuel, leaning down to look at Nikobo. The hippopotamus wagged her huge head. Fine, just fine, mate, she wheezed pleasantly. Ha! Good for you! Samuel's face broke into a broad grin as Kobo remembered to call him mate. "'We'll make an able-bodied sea-woman of you yet, my lass!' End of chapter 7